0: So, yeah, I have to drive somebody to the airport when we get done doing this. Um, actually, someone, my parents, both of my parents. I just got back from going out west. They're going out west. It's like we're tagging out, I guess. Um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, are, airport, are you, a, are you a show up really early kind of guy? Oh, or are, yeah. you, are you cutting it close?
1: So you will know that I am not the best planner. That is not right. one of my strengths. No. You are the organized person in this relationship. However, one thing you might think that I sprint into the airport and just hope that security's not bad and slide through—that would make sense, right? I, because, and it's not a great business move because goodness, the, they're not economical. But the airport bars are so nice, mm-hmm. you can why not, you know? And it was so convenient to get to the Atlanta airport from yep. Auburn. Yep, there's really no reason for me to not get there a few hours early, have a couple beverages. Just, you know enjoy people watching airports are great for that so yeah, yeah. definitely pro getting there early not stressing i get very irritated with security Speak, speaking of people watching that's a place that's fascinating but infuriating
0: all right <laughs> i uh so i we just did our travel episode but i feel i feel like it's just on the brain right now but no i'm with you like i like i like getting there early um, i'm spoiled by the atlanta airport because you literally can do or eat and see, like hang out. What like you can do whatever, you know. Before a trip in Atlanta, like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good, to you. And and then when I fly other places, I get to the airport early and I'm like, oh, no oh, this sucks. Like there's nothing here, and it's just like it, it it spoils you, a ton. But uh,
1: a number of my friends travel a lot more than me, and so they'll put in the, like the group message like whatever airport they're at, and it is funny like how irritated. They can become because, you know, you get used to a certain kind of airport if you yeah. live in yeah. Atlanta or New York or Chicago or doesn't even have to be one of those. But, you know, it's just a certain level of, like, comfort and ease with which you become accustomed. The Charlotte Airport to me is not, you know, I don't fly out of there a ton, but I, I've had plenty of connections there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to be. No, it's not a good one. The best. No,
0: I'm not a fan of it. I, I'll tell you. i tell you the one I hate like, with a passion, though. And if anybody's ever been through there, they can probably attest to it. The Kansas City Airport is (laughs) miserable. And I've done that a couple times. Um, The Kansas City Airport, the security is at the gate. And so it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, if you go in, you can't go out. And, I mean, it's at the gate. And you're at the mercy of whatever is on the other side of the gate. Like, whatever's the other side of the checkpoint. There's no, like, getting in and walking around and, you know, uh, stretching your legs out you know, you just, you're just stuck. So you're either having to play it close or you're, you know, stuck behind this wall. It's just, it's so, so bad. And it's, again, you get spoiled by the Atlanta airport at It's but okay, that does make sense. You do, you do strike me as a guy that like would, cause we've never flown anywhere together. Every time we've been on trips, they've all been, you know, within driving distance.
1: Um, My mother is extremely, extremely meticulous. And a lot of that did not, rub off on me, but the <laughs> nervousness around flying did. I don't want to be late because of something I did. Like if the oh, okay, if the yeah, flight yeah. gets delayed, that sucks. No one enjoys that. We all enjoy complaining about it. Mm-hmm. But like well, at least I was there. But I, me just being sloppy as I can be from time to time, like that's not a good reason to miss a $500 flight.
0: Yeah. Um so I I go through, um, like when you talk about security, I, I have clear, like, this is not an ad, but like, I, some of my sports writer friends, uh, who travel a lot, like, uh, Nicole Arbach and, and some of the national folks, David Ubbin, like, were really big on this when I worked at The Athletic and they were like, um, you should get it, and it's like super easy. You know, you basically give the government your DNA, and you can go through the airport quicker. That's like basically which is a very
1: cool perk of being American,
0: right? It's just one of those things. Where it's like you already got it anyway. It's just like,
1: like yeah, I know? have a cell phone.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm I'm good there. But um, so it's great. I, lo- I love like I you know the longest I'll ever be in the Atlanta airport security is like five minutes tops. Like I go through I go through there to a breeze, um, but coming back from Vegas, um, our flight was so late that not only did they not have clear going, they also didn't have pre-check going. And so I had to, like for the first time in years, I was going back through like a commoner. <laughs> I had to take my shoes off. I had to take my laptop out of my bag. I felt Disgusting, like, ah, isn't it? Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad that we have to do this. Um, but Does it uh,
1: help? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's just... I don't know, and, and but you you did mention earlier, like living in Auburn, it's like you get to the world's busiest airport in like less than an hour and a half. You're... That is a
1: hilarious statistic. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's like not just something that's said, and I get it. There's caveats to it. Most cities have multiple airports. I don't care. It's still funny.
0: It, it's hilarious. We we flew in uh, not too long ago. It's the last thing I'll say about it. it, it we flew in. Um, when we were coming back from Vegas and we flew a red eye back. And so we're on a red eye from Vegas and I'll admit it. We flew spirit. It was cheap. It was a holiday weekend.
1: Yeah. I get it. Especially that weekend. Yeah. Risk it all baby.
0: Um, and so (laughs) we flew a red eye. We landed in Atlanta before 5 AM Eastern time Mm, as one does. And, And so we have to get back to domestic, you know, baggage claim and all that to, to get our stuff and, you know, get on the way back home. And uh, they, they put us in the international terminal <laughs> like they landed us at a gate at the international terminal and said, "You're gonna have to ride that train all the way back <laughs> like you were going to you, you, you have not slept you you want to die. it is four in the morning and you just feel miserable and it's like you're gonna have to stand on that train and take it all the way down. Um, so that was a, that was a fun little experience. getting there when nothing is open in the in the airport, getting there when it's just at that point it's just you. And the other people who are who got the really cheap late flights just being miserable together. It's it's one of those experiences. You're all cranky. About, yeah, you talk about people watching. This is just like we're all just in misery with one another, right? You know, it's just. I mean, somebody could somebody could like get mad and stab somebody in front of me on that train. I'd be like, yeah, probably that makes sense. I get but, it. <laughs> I um,
1: get it. We're all tired. We're all ready to go. And look, good for the workers. No mm-hmm. problems for them. However, it does seem like since the pandemic, the airport simply does not stay open as late. Yeah. Which, of course, if you're doing something that involves a late flight is a bit of a problem or at least an inconvenience at that. And as an American consumer, I'll say I don't like being inconvenienced for my treats.
0: the auburn observer podcast the weekend edition justin ferguson here in auburn alabama painter sharpless in parts unknown hello painter hello how are we doing we're doing good we're, we're doing good good weekend looking for hey, so right off the top just want to say this we're recording this on sunday afternoon and you know we're not a podcast or I'm, i've never been a person that covers auburn baseball uh, we just do you know men's basketball and football on here uh, but I will say, man, Auburn baseball just beating the tar out of their first two opponents here in this regional, and they're going for the, going for the regional win uh, tonight You know, after we record. The, 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 by the time we're done recording this, um, they'll be just about to start, I think, over at Plainsman Park. But, man, Butch Thompson and the gang, I mean, they they just decided just late. Because it was one thing, it was like when when they did it to Southeastern, you're like, okay. That's shouldn't, that, they? Like, yeah. shouldn't they? Like, shouldn't they? It's like uh, lived on the you know they 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 won like six straight elimination games or something to get to that point. It's like they you know living living by the you know living by the skin of their teeth. Uh, they're just they're just and and you're not going to get great pitching with a small college team. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so when they bashed them early, you know in that first game, you're like okay, like you know really good because Auburn had kind of slipped a little bit down the stretch. Um, even though I think I read a thing where butch i think bennett wrote a story on it at uh, the advertiser where it was like yeah people are criticizing this team it was like yeah no it's fine it's college bait like he kind of said it too he was like and hey, this has always kind of been one, one of my things about college football and college basketball is like yeah they're they're amateurs like they <laughs> you're not going to be super super consistent all the time like it's, it's just, and also baseball is just a game of random it's so anyway. weird yeah, yeah. Uh, like, and
1: and like auburn may you know butch thompson may have like a Legitimate reason to want a bigger budget, but like when you're playing a team, like that, it's like I hope you can take care of business. I know, yeah. you, like, like I would agree with you. baseball's a weird sport, but in that situation, I'm glad they did what they did. It's what they did against Florida State, yes. a team that is very consistent. Speaking of which, like historically, I was like, hey, "This is kind of nice." And it seemed
0: that Auburn has had some demons with in the postseason because yes. it's just like they're always in Tallahassee; yes. they're always having to play them, and they bashed them. I mean, just. They made it. They made that that team look terrible, uh, and so we'll see who they end up playing. Um, as we're recording this, I think that game's tied between UCLA and Florida State. But um, while yeah. I really
1: like the little bit of baseball I was able to watch over the last couple of days, and it was obviously very encouraging to see how good things looked at an important time of the year. Like right, baseball is such a sport that they could rematch against Florida State, and <laughs> you know, like if they lost two games, you'd be like, well, yeah. It's that's like you just, uh, just kind of smacked. That's them what we're dealing local. in,
0: but uh, we'll see. I, I think Auburn's in a really good spot. First time they'd hosted. This is the first time they'd hosted a regional since before we were in college.
1: But one of the best calls I've ever heard yes. was involved in that. Yes. Like as someone who has admittedly not watched a lot of Auburn baseball, basically since I don't know the end of junior high school, beginning of high school. Like I used to go with my dad a lot, but that stopped at some point. I mean, that call sticks out in my mind. Mm hmm. And yeah. if you don't know, I guess I'm being vague. The the Rod Bramlett. You Brandlitt, can drop it in here. Yeah, the Rod Bramlett, Andy we'll Bircham. Um, yeah, we'll drop it here. Now the 1 2 pitch. Fastball driven. Deep left center field. That ball is gone. Oh my it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. 11 to 9, Omen. 11 to 9, Shuts and it again! David Ross, you have company!
0: Big spot for uh baseball. Uh yeah, women's golf made it to the final four. Men's golf had a top ten finish nationally this year. Obviously, gymnastics doing really well. Softball, tough way to finish there. There was there were stretches this year where, where softball was looking like they were really um doing doing a great job. So yeah, just a lot of good vibes around Auburn's uh Auburn spring sports. This has been a it's been a good it's been a good little semester here for for Auburn and heading into the summer. It's just the one thing. It's like um, you know Auburn wants to promote itself as an everything school. Hey, there's a lot. I think that we had a question uh, in the mailbag um, over the weekend or on on Friday about hey everything's either things are good for most programs or they're trending up. And I think football is just kind of not only is football the other because it is the behemoth, but it's also you know, the one where you did take a step back, and there are a lot of question marks, but...
1: Um, it That uh, is such an interesting... Spot. Yeah, d- interesting dynamic for any athletic director because you want to tout all your programs, but we're all paying attention to the one that gets the most attention and the one that makes the most money, and you wrote about this recently, but, you know, Alan Green stepped out and made that hire, and so he will be judged mostly on that sport.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there uh, there's a lot to uh, keep an eye on with uh, with with the uh, with the other sports again. Like we again, you know, we don't cover the them as as closely. Um, I don't, and uh, we don't talk about them a ton on the podcast. But uh, we like to keep an eye on what's going on elsewhere. And obviously, Auburn baseball taking the headlines this week. Really cool to see the crowds at Plainsman Park, and just there's a lot of folks in town uh, came into town for a baseball weekend. Again, this 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 is not like some of these places where this happens every year where you just know you're going to host a regional. So uh, Auburn turning it up. And of course, uh, you know, butch Thompson and and their goal is to like make this a lot more commonplace, but man, it's hard to be a top 16 team in college baseball. Just like you said, it's the randomness of baseball on top of the fact um, that, you know, it's just the SEC is just brutal and it's going to get even more brutal here in in the near future.
1: A certain measure of consistency to be appreciated. Who are the best everything schools? The first that come to mind are Stanford, Florida. Wouldn't you put Texas in there? Speaking of a team that's football program is not always crushing it (laughs) recently, but like I think I feel like I see a fair amount of news randomly here and there about Stanford, Florida, and Texas.
0: Yeah, so there's a thing called the Director's Cup that... It's like they add up um, they like score uh, a team's um, schools like across the board what are they what are they the best at um, and, and like the more the more championships and the farther you go in multiple sports the better you're at. Um, I think Stanford's won it Stanford won it like 20 something years in a row and then Texas you you just mentioned Texas. Texas is the most recent one. Um, I don't know what the standings are right now, but last year, so the 2020 year, you had Texas, Stanford, Michigan. I would not throw Michigan in there. North Carolina, Florida, USC, Alabama getting getting a, some love in there as well. Arkansas, Ohio State, and Georgia. This is um, not for this past year, but the year before that. Um, Stanford, Florida, UCLA, North Carolina, Michigan, Texas, and USC are the all-time leaders in top 10 finishes. So what you would expect. What you expect. And Stanford, obviously – Stanford just dominates a bunch of, like, lower-level sports. Like, they um, – pretty much any um, non-revenue sport that Stanford plays, they're very, very good at. Like, I think they have this dynasty in, like and, – and some sports that, like, most teams don't even play either. Like, I think they have a dynasty in, like, rowing and stuff like that. Like, I think their field hockey team's really good. They obviously have great golf and soccer programs uh, out there. But, uh, yeah, that's what you're kind of getting. Florida, Florida's Florida makes sense. North Carolina – I always found it interesting, like Michigan and Texas. Well, I guess Texas doesn't make sense, but Michigan and Michigan, especially, is like not necessarily a place like weather-wise, climate-wise, that is more appealing than some of these other schools. But they just throw a ton of money at it because one thing the University of Michigan does have is just a ton of cash. But you know, Auburn. I don't know if Auburn plays because one of the criticisms of the Directors Cup is like, well, we don't play this many sports. Like it's going to be tough for us to to catch up. Like, you know. Uh, I guess it's a little different for some of these spots. It's like, well, instead of, you know, in, instead of playing all these sports, we just play a smaller amount. Like, we don't have men's soccer. We don't have field hockey. We don't have lacrosse. We don't have all these, all these other things, whereas the SEC really concentrates on a smaller number compared to the, to the average. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think Auburn is trying to pick up some more momentum in, in those spots, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And you were talking about the interesting thing about um, – the sports for Auburn right now is that you're either in a situation where you're either things are good or things have the potential to be good. You know, women's basketball being a great example of that, uh, what Johnny Harris is, is trying to build. But I, I think of like, um, the coaching change they had recently at swimming and diving and how that used to be a dynasty at Auburn, just the powerhouse uh, program. And they want to get back to that level. Um, and then I also think, um, Again, not a not a program that is has been down in the dumps by any means. Uh, they, they have some tough competition, but they do produce national champions and and some really good teams. Um, you know, it seems like every year they have at least an event or an athlete or a team that does well um, track and field. Ralph Spry stepping down after being like literally the godfather of the program. So that's going to be a new era uh, coming up soon for Auburn track. So, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this – because I, I do think, though – just generally it just feels like the vibes around the athletic department outside of football feel like good or rising and um you know that's hard that's hard to do that's not something that a place like auburn is accustomed to uh, having year in and year out and i think a lot of that is the consistency we've seen in baseball and, and trying to get back there again in softball but also just the emergence of basketball and the emphasis they're, they're putting on the women's game on that side as well and and also the golf teams are on a tear recently um they they have really they've really stepped it up Tennis. Wanna, tennis as well. Ten- both tennis teams had really good years.
1: We want a complementary basketball program, folks. That's what mm-hmm. I'm. That's what I'm interested in. Let's let's get more more going on on both sides of men's and women's basketball. I've said this before, but I do wish that uh, golf would turn into more of an event. Like I feel like the yeah. type of person who would go to golf events like exists at Auburn's campus. Oh, for sure. Pre- it's very prevalent, so I don't know why and like, we'd...
0: match play golf is fun. Like, when you watch the NCAA yeah. tournaments, like, that match play golf is a, is a whole lot of fun. Um, no, yeah, you're talking about the equivalent program in basketball. Look, I'll be honest with you. Um, I cover basketball and football because those are the sports I know uh, the most. I've never really covered baseball, and i barely covered softball for a little while when they were really good. Uh, but I'll be honest, like, if the demand was there and the interest was there and they were good enough, like, if Auburn— if Auburn women's basketball got to a point where they were where where people were really pushing for that coverage and and um, you know Auburn had a had a contender, I would absolutely cover watch because there's some things that the women's game does that I really really enjoy. Um, like most importantly, like my my if you've heard me rail about this in the past was like the women's game having four quarters instead of two halves. is just the smartest thing. Like, I just don't know why. I just don't know why the men's game is like, Nope, we're going to be literally the only basketball league on planet earth that plays with two. Halves. It
1: feels like a sticking point. Now they feel like they're doing something <laughs> edgy.
0: Yeah. It's like, well now I have to do this. I gotta, I gotta really, I gotta really, uh, I gotta really do this now. But, um, yeah. So, uh, that was a roundabout way of saying, uh, keep it up all the other sports and, uh, we will keep an eye on things and see how far this baseball team goes, because uh, they are in a really good spot. Like I said, heading into whatever happens on Sunday night. Comment- By the time you listen to this, you will know what happened yeah. on Sunday
1: night. The commentators continue to get Butch Thompson's name wrong.
0: That's funny. I haven't. I, I I've seen people reference that. It's it's pretty it's pretty good.
1: It's just odd. I don't know. Like he's a very unassuming man. I think he's a very nice guy. So I don't. They just are like, ah, oh, well, if we get his name right. <laughs> He's He won't care. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this is going on this weekend, Auburn baseball being the lead story. The other lead story was Auburn football landing a new uh, transfer. And this is kind of – I'm not saying it's over, but you're kind of in to the point now where your roster is going to be pretty much set. Um, you may get to a little bit more here in the month of June, but, like, guys are already on campus. Guys are already, um, you know – We're doing going through workouts and this month of June is such a big visit weekend thing. And that, that a lot of it is going to be 2023 kids, but also it's big for transfers, these last transfers. And so Auburn getting a commitment on Saturday night. Uh, and it was, it was late Saturday night, uh, from Coy Moore, um, who is a transfer wide receiver from LSU. Uh, the second, uh, transfer Auburn has picked up, uh, Daz Worsham, obviously, uh, the, the Miami wide receiver who just joined the team here recently. Koy Moore uh, is six foot uh, 190 pounds last season. that's what he was listed at at LSU. Uh, former top 300 prospect, uh, according to 247 composite uh, was top 50 wide receiver in his class of 2020. Um, from Archbishop Rommel, which if you know anything about uh, the state of Louisiana, that is a powerhouse in the New Orleans area. One of the best high school programs around. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't want to put. I don't want to put words. No, okay. So I was wrong. I was like, "Is that where Tyrant Matthew played?" No, he played. At, he played at another school. But uh, Rommel has, uh, has has produced a ton of great football players over the years. Yeah, Christian Fulton played there. Uh, Jamar Chase—that's who I was thinking of. Jamar Chase played it at at, uh, at Rommel, um, and uh, a few other former, it looks like they have several NFL players, but Fulton and uh, and Chase were the two big uh, recent ones there. So uh, coming from a good program, obviously at LSU, interesting case with him. Um, So Coy Moore, uh, he was a freshman in 20 during the 2020 season during the, during the COVID year as a true freshman broke into what was a weird wide receiver room in, um, in Baton Rouge, uh, obviously with Jamar Chase uh, not playing that season um the loss of Justin Jefferson uh, as well uh he was number f- 6 on the team uh that year uh, but was number yeah he was fourth most catches of anybody on the team uh receivers in 2020 um t- 22 catches for 177 yards and then last year um he caught Three balls in the opener against UCLA for 32 yards. um, Caught two balls for 39 yards against Central Michigan two weeks later. Did not play against Auburn. Didn't record a stat against Mississippi State. And then he ended up falling. He had fallen down the depth chart and just he entered the transfer portal at the halfway point of the year. He's been in the transfer portal since October. Um, He is a guy that has been... And so, like, when people ask, like, is he going to be eligible? Because, you know, the thing is, like, you got to be in by a certain point. Yeah, this dude's been in there for a while. <laughs> and uh, it was just waiting for uh, the spot to spot to come up for him. He also did a little bit of punt returning. Um, it looked like, yeah, he had three punt returns in both seasons. So, he's got that, a little bit, a little bit of that versatility in the bag. Uh, but Coymore, um, just... Some younger receivers kind of stepped up uh, in 2021 for LSU, and uh, he kind of got pushed down the depth chart a little bit uh, with guys like Jack Beck and Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. uh, Deion Smith also uh, getting in the mix there. Um, So, Coymore looking for a second chance, and he has found it at Auburn. Really interesting pickup. Again, like I tweeted on Saturday night, I think every Auburn fan in the world wanted them to like hey, go get, go get an experienced wide receiver. It's like, well, they tried. They they tried to get uh, some of the bigger name guys, and the bigger name guys ended up going to places where more stable quarterback situations, um, more stable situations. Period, as, as programs. So for Auburn, what they ended up doing is they went in and got these guys that were kind of high upside, several years of eligibility left. Type of players and Coy Moore fits in that point. Now he has a little bit more, um, he has a little bit more experience to his name. He obviously has in the in the, in the fact that he has experience at all has more experience uh, than uh, Daz Worship did. But uh, he enters a room at wide receiver where okay, he's been through two years of playing for an SEC team, a year and a half, really. He's, he's been through the fire. Uh, he was a guy that was recruited by Joe Brady uh, coming out of LSU, so there's a lot of excitement around him, blue-chip guy. And like Worsham, I think the pitches for this guy is, for Auburn fans, it's like, look, you didn't get the super experienced dude, but um, you know you get somebody that if he can tap into what made him a blue-chip prospect and one that a lot of SEC schools wanted coming out of high school – maybe it's like you're getting a steal here maybe it's like you're going back cuz i think correct me if i'm wrong painter i, I would want to if auburn got a commitment today from a fre- from an incoming true freshman who was a top 300 player and a top 50 wide receiver and a four star you'd be like heck yeah like that's those are the kind of players you need so you're getting this a little bit of delayed at this point
1: it's treated certainly with some excitement yes there's always going to be lingering doubts about why it is it hasn't taken off yet I think some people would ask what I think is a fair question. And I don't know, do we have any insight on why he remained in the portal for the amount of time that he did?
0: Yeah. That's interesting because I guess it was just waiting for the right spot. You know, again, the numbers aren't necessarily going to scream somebody. You're like, everyone's going to jump in the portal and just immediately want this dude. Um, But it looked like he, he kind of took his time and, and, Auburn's going to end up being being the spot for him. Um, he uh, he had interest from Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. Those are like the other two that were kind of coming down to the wire form. So places, well, heck, I mean, look, Texas Tech just just went all in on is going all in on in the air raid again. Um, with uh, you know, they got the the Western Kentucky uh, offense coordinator who came from um, was it Houston Baptist that had all the all the yards. They and might then, as
1: well be fun because they're not. <laughs> It's Hard to get folks anything. out there, yeah.
0: And then Oklahoma State, you know, solid program. Uh they took Auburn's defense coordinator. Like <laughs> like, you know, it's it's not like it's like a poverty situation or anything. So like had a really good um had a really good connection there, obviously for Auburn. Um big news for Auburn in terms of uh Ike Hilliard. He is from uh, Ike Hilliard a Louisiana native, getting a Louisiana wide receiver. And of course, you can't you can't mention anybody connected to Louisiana and Auburn football in this day and age without mentioning trevon reed obviously playing a part in the in this one as well um t reed a guy that i think a lot of people wanted to see on staff is like a guy can go out on the road and recruit but as we've seen here on these official visits the way the way Travon can can connect with with players and of course a guy you know from his backyard definitely helps so uh, but auburn has kind of started to Bulk up this uh, the, this this wide receiver room, and it's just again, it's it's one of those things where you roll the dice and see if you, somebody can stick. Like you have Shed Jackson coming back. You think you you think you like what you have returning in Javarius Johnson. Malcolm Johnson has potential, of course. Davion Cap- Capers has potential. Travaris Dawson, some of these freshmen coming in, um, and then you add Daz Warsham and Coy Moore as two guys that like okay. They know the area. They know this level of football. Um, in the case of Coy Moore, he's played a little bit in the, in, in the SEC level and had some had some decent games against SCC SEC opponents as a freshman. It's just, can you be an X factor for us? Can you be a guy that we can kind of steal? And, you know, somebody pointed out uh, the other day that it was like, you know, Auburn went in the direction last year when they went out and got Demetrius Robertson out of the transfer portal, a guy who had a ton of experience. It wasn't necessarily something that just worked out, you know, stunningly well. Like, D-Rob had, had, by all accounts, a solid year. It wasn't, you know, game-changing or world-breaking, but, like, he was Auburn's number two receiver for a reason.
1: I would say there is some comparison in D-Rob and what Auburn's getting right here. It's like, yes, coming out of high school, there would have been a ton of excitement. Now everybody's in wait-and-see mode for D-Rob. I mean, he had a great freshman year even at Cal. So, like, I remember we were doing the show when we learned Mm -hmm. that he was transferring to Georgia, and I was like, oh, of course, right? Like, they're getting another freak athlete. Well, his career obviously went the way it did, and he, like you said, was a contributor at Auburn. And, like, I kind of get the sense that that's what Auburn is getting right now in these recent wide receiver moves and additions. Auburn is at a spot now at the position where it simply needs bodies it's there's upside like that's if you want to spend positive maybe that they find a real role and they can find a real way to make the team materially better Uh, I don't think anyone is expecting these players to flip the fortunes of an offense that has seemingly lots of question marks but I do think that it's hard to deny a little bit of experience mixed in with what Auburn is bringing back like you can start to try to find a way in which the receiver room looks improved from last year which i think simply starts with catching the football which yeah, Zach, exactly. Zach Calzada, like oddly enough poor guy like he just came off of that team with all the drops and yep. it doesn't get a whole lot better you know with what statistically he'll be dealing with this season at all. Well, like, yeah
0: you, you don't necessarily hate that you lost kobe hudson right like i mean are you do like you don't necessarily love the fact that you love. That's what I meant to say. The fact that you lost Kobe Hudson because he's a good player, but like he dropped he had a pretty high drop rate. So did D Rob. So like, you know, you have a little bit of consistency there. Javarius Johnson, statistically, his season did not have a good drop rate. All that was really the Georgia State game. Um, so maybe you just get better from from that angle. And and to his credit, in the games he did play at LSU, Coymore pretty sure-handed it, with his opportunity. So that that helps out a lot. Um, Can I,
1: I want to interrupt here because yeah, I think you're knocking on the door, something that I'm curious about, like on a macro level for Auburn's football season and whatever the expectations are. This feels again, like a rebuilding year for Auburn, because I know there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. I get it. I'm nervous about the offensive line. I'm nervous about the lack of production that experience from the quarterback and receiver rooms. like if if Auburn were operating within a vacuum and it won seven, eight, nine games, nine games would be thrilling, right? Like there would be some true excitement about what you could do in year three. But because of the cloud that hangs over Brian Harsin going into the season because of his own failings last season, his own program's failings anyway, and then of course all that went into that (laughs) investigation into him Like, it doesn't feel like he has the time to get another rebuilding year. And so if if the goal were, let's have a rebuilding season, these players help you. If the goal is to save your job and do such a good job that -hmm. they can't fire you, these moves don't seem as meaningful.
0: Yeah, so it's a good point because it's like, I I think you're one of those, uh, you can look at it one of two ways, right? I think you could go get these one-year rentals, these transfers in the portal that are just going to be around for, and Auburn did last year. Like, you know, they they had Tony fair and they got by Darius Knighton and they got D Rob. And you know, they had, they had those guys this year. The only guy who in the portal that they, and they've been busy in the portal, but the only guy they've gotten who fits that mold is Morris Joseph, the defensive lineman, which is a position group where it's like, you just needed more depth. You didn't necessarily need dudes that are going to be superstars right now. Um, but when you look at Daz Warship and Coy Moore and um, Eugene Sante and DJ James, Craig McDonald, um, you're getting guys in the portals at Calzada and R- Robbie Ashford, the big ones there as well. You're getting guys that have multiple years. And so you can look at it one of two ways. If you get these rentals, it's like, okay, do they help, they help you right now? Sure. What happens next? Right? What do you have next? I think the thing for Auburn is, is that everybody knows that this is a building process. We knew that coming in, that Brian Harson. This was a multi-year build. This was not going to be a be awesome immediately like a like a on. It was just wasn't set up to be that way. There was so much he was having to change. And so you're going to have to build up. You and you have to be better recruiting. You have to be better at finishing games. You have to show pride. And so that's the thing this year is I think you get these transfers because you want to show progress, right? You want to have a winning record. You want to be better on offense. You want to be uh, consistent on the defensive end. You
1: want to maybe win more team close that, games, right? Like yeah. that part Finish down Finish well stretch. in the fourth quarter. It's so always yeah, going to be tough because of who you draw. Right. But
0: you do that, and it's like, okay, and then we can build off of it. This is not just, well, we got there with this one guy, or we got there with these guys that aren't going to be around much longer. And so I think I'm viewing it as the point of, for Brian Harson. it's like, yes, we got to make this roster better right now but we don't want to do it and, you know, we don't want to short sell our future because we don't want to, we don't want to throw that away. What you want to do is you want to bring in young guys that have multiple years of eligibility left. They can impact your team right now. They can help you right now. And it's just like, my, it's the thing we were talking about with, with more and worship. It's like, can, can your first spot, it didn't work out for you. Right. It, it wasn't the playing time. Wasn't where you wanted it to be, or in the case of worship, not at all but you were good in high school for a reason. And we think because of the needs we have as a position and because we're going to be trying so many guys here, maybe we can just, can you find a hit out of these guys? And then it's not, oh, you got this transfer and now he's gone. And now you're having to reset your roster. You're not, you're not, you know, Eric Musselman, you know, you're not doing that Arkansas thing, although Arkansas is getting a lot of recruits in this year as freshmen. But, you know, you're not doing that. Instead, it's like, you're going to help us build. And so I think that's the thing is like when you're talking about recruiting with all that Brian harson has gone through in the last several months and the end of the season and the investigation and all that, and you're trying to build a program back up, you've got to find people who are going to buy in for this for the haul, right? Because we can all look at this this schedule right now. We can all look at this team and say, well, you need to win X amount of games. This is do or die. And that can be true, but also that's not the end point, right? This is not a situation where it's like you have to hit this goal and then everything's fine after that. It's like, no, this has got to be a bill. This is going to be a process. So you got to find in dudes that, that are going to be willing to do that. And so that's why I think you're less likely to sign these rentals. And like, look, if Auburn could have gone out and gotten an awesome wide receiver, like a dude who was a senior and was just one of one more stop before the NFL, it would have definitely helped him. And it would definitely made him a better team this year. But for but if you're thinking of it, long term, which is I think what you have to do when you think of this team because I think one of two things are going to happen this year. one, you're gonna have a season where Almer takes a step forward and the build continues. you have people buying in and you're trying to build the program the way you want it to be and Brian Harson can build something consistent and contending for a while. or this team's gonna fall below expectations, They're gonna have a rough year and you might be looking at starting over in the near future, right? Either way, I think you're going to want guys in, in place that are going to be here for a little while.
1: It seems like he's in a really tough spot because I think he's not in a position, his staff's not in a position, given the turmoil of the offseason, to go out and get a superstar type player or if that even existed in the portal at the positions of need this year a very good person who suddenly shoots up the depth chart and makes you better immediately and you know this because that's a hard sell given everything that you just went through all right so then you go well then he needs to do the long haul which is true he needs to view this as if he's going to be here for six eight ten years yeah you would have loved to gotten caleb williams right (laughs) however he also realizes there is a timeline in which he may not be granted that allowance, yeah. and suddenly, like, this is insufficient. The The talent is insufficient. So I'd, I don't know what he's to do, is what yeah. I'm saying, because he's not likely to bring in top-end talent from the portal. It's just hard. And it's just hard. Yeah. So you go multi-year, hoping that you'll still be here in two, three years.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's the move. Because, again, I think more... And I think these guys that got in the transfer portal, even though they are multi year contributors, more than likely, they help you right now. Like you needed dudes at wide receiver, like you said earlier. Like you needed those guys. You needed another safety. So you bring in Craig McDonald. You need depth at some of these spots on defense. You bring them in for that reason. Um so yeah, it's it's I think I think Brian Harson is operating the way it looks to me that, that he's operating like he's going to be here for, for more years to come. And he should like, that's how you should, that's how you should handle it. If you're, you're a coach in a situation. Uh, But also I don't think he's doing that. And just like, I think everybody knows in that room in that building and everybody who's involved in football knows they got to be better than they were last year. They know that they know that they can't have another losing record. Like that would be just really detrimental to everyone's future.
1: Um. It will be a very Homer thing of me to say, but I'll say it anyway, because I do think there's a hint of truth to it. Auburn finished the regular season with what? Six Six wins. And and it very realistically, very realistically did not fell short when it mattered most, but it very realistically could have won. Not yeah. They definitely should have beaten Mississippi state as tough a position as they were in on the road with a quarterback who had not started yet in DJ Finley they were up two scores and that team is just not very good they are not they don't recruit well beamer is a good recruiter but they have not over the last four so years saying five they should have been state well. they should have been south carolina and then you know what i'm just going to leave alabama out there as like hey they were better than you all year yes they had their problems you probably overperformed and you were able to you defensively flip one you flip just... one or one or two plays and the Auburn wins that game going away. So I definitely think Auburn can make a case strongly that it should have won eight games. Well, that it's was the whole thing.
0: Normal. That was the whole thing with like uh, what I wrote about not too long ago with the Pythagorean expectation. It's like statistically, yeah, that team should have won more games. Like,
1: which if you're listening to this and cr- like cr- like clawing at your eyes going, well, they didn't, they didn't do that painter. Right. It's true. And it's so you true. can't That's, say that, that because they lost all the games. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of that did come down to not only execution, but also there was some bad decision making from the coaches in there. So like, I hear you if you're like, well, it doesn't matter what oh, yeah, they yeah, could have yeah. done. Cause they didn't win well, eight I, or nine. I, games.
0: I think it's relevant. I think it's relevant to the point that like, no, you can't, you can't say that and forgive what happened last year. I think you say more of this team could have won eight or nine games last season, not to forgive what happened, but to say, okay, okay, there's reason why this team could be better this year, right? That Like, that's the thing. And I know you don't have the same quarterback.
1: Like, if they were to win eight games, it would be surprising. But if you look at it from yeah. the last two years and Gus Malzahn's final year where they won six out of ten games, it's like, well, percentage-wise, that's probably about where they should be. But the vibes, the vibes are not good right no. now. And so it's hard to envision them winning eight games. And, and quite frankly, that train, by the way, I don't think – if they do it wouldn't be the biggest of shocks.
0: No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. I think the biggest of shocks is if they won like ten.
1: Right? Like Yeah, that would mean they would have to beat everyone that they should and upset probably probably Two this. Yeah. Certainly you'd have to beat one of Texas A and M, Georgia, and Alabama. Yeah. And you probably beat Penn State. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> what is that team gonna be like? Because I, have no I, idea. I sort of presume that they are what they were last year again
0: I think my thing with uh, I think my thing with Penn State is like I just always expect them to be a top 20 team Yeah, like preseason top 15 top 20 yeah I, it, it's it's those things where like you Brian Arson's continuing to build his program and like this is what we need to do to be good right now and this is what we need to do to be good in the future and it's like there's a lot of it that's going to hinge on what they do in the fall I think a lot of the recruiting success is going to hinge on what they do in the fall Right. And they're and they're making inroads. They had a lot of guys on visits this, this weekend. They made some good they made some good progress with a lot of guys that will that could help them out and give them a recruiting class more like we expect Auburn to be at year in and year out. But I think a lot of it's gonna hinge on what happens. And so that's what makes this season so interesting. There's gonna be twelve Saturdays in the fall and they know this. Like I'm not saying anything that Brian Harson doesn't know. There's gonna be twelve Saturdays in the fall that are going to like really hinge a lot about the program.
1: Yeah, actually, one thing you've done, you've been good at pointing out to me is don't hinge Auburn's recruiting on single outcomes of games, and that's going to be true this year. However, I do think the outcomes of games for Auburn will matter, and it does most years. If Auburn and gets through a halfway I, point I think it'll of the be season, in a cumulative,
0: yeah, if they get at the halfway point in the season, there's not a whole lot to buy into. It's going to be like,
1: well, there it goes.
0: Right, because I think if you're in a point in the middle of the year where Auburn's in a bad spot, the talk is going to be like, "Are they going to keep this guy?" And just just being honest, like I I don't think Auburn's going to be in that. Well, I'm not saying that. I wouldn't predict Auburn to be in that situation. I don't know where. Like the numbers say Auburn wins, like goes like seven and five in the regular season. That's probably it, and that would be progress. But I think it's got to be the right looking seven and five. And I am not necessarily meaning you got to beat this team. You can't you can't lose to this team. I think it's got to be like he'd be seven and five and like with a new quarterback that's not Bo Nix, like do something. Can on you cross the 50 the a few behind? times
1: in Athens? Right. <laughs> like, how about we do that? That would be a nice place to be. I don't expect you to beat. I don't expect you to beat the national champions in Athens. I simply expect you to score a couple of touchdowns. And that of course involves crossing the 50.
0: By the way, um, this is, I guess this is not completely random, but um, we were talking about depth a moment ago. Uh, I, I mentioned depth. Uh, An eagle-eyed uh, Jason Caldwell pointing out on Twitter this weekend, uh, it's like the teams, the the position groups are having their like team dinners, like where they all get together at the coach's house. So uh, Jason pointing out that uh, Joko Willis with the edges makes a lot of sense, makes a ton of sense, um, and a move that I thought Auburn probably could have made in the spring or w- probably would have made in the spring. They decided not to, but it makes a lot of sense for where where they are right now. So. Keep an eye on Joko because did he have the best somebody there the and season? he can definitely do that. Yes. The LSU one yeah, on the kick return. Yeah. yeah just I don't know how that translates that on a play to
1: play basis, but if you're looking for singular pop, my man seems to have mm. it.
0: Auburn, by the way, according to my count, has 79 scholarship players. Um, so they have rebuilt that roster pretty nicely. Um, still room for more, obviously, but, uh, We'll see. They're they're in a they're in a much better for a team that lost a ton this offseason, they they've plugged in pretty well, I think, in terms of pure numbers game. All right. Um, we've got some stuff to talk about with basketball and some SEC discussion, some stuff that happened this past week. Before we do that, I uh, want to appreciate I want to appreciate want to thank everybody for listening <laughs> uh, to the to the podcast. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate every single one of you. That's what I meant to say. Um if you like us and you want more of us uh, and you're listening to this for free, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer for $6 a month or $60 a year. Get you every newsletter we do. There's three newsletters a week, two podcasts, so you listen to this one for free, but you get twice as much of the podcast if you subscribe. Uh, our premium podcast usually comes out on Thursdays. Uh, and They've been a lot of fun here in the off season. We're hoping to get some more guests on and rotate them on because you guys really enjoy those episodes, and we do too. Those are usually the most fun ones we have to do. Um. So, subscribe to the Observer. Like I said, six dollars a month or six dollars a year. You can also sign up for a free trial. Check us out for seven days. Get the newsletter sent to your inbox. Check them all out and uh, see if you want to hang on board. Uh, just a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on Auburn football and men's basketball. You will find on the website auburnobserver.com. There is also a way you can help us out with no money down. Painter, tell them how they can do it.
1: Great review, subscribe. Maybe you're in the car, at a stoplight, maybe you're at work, you're shuffling through your podcast, look, just search on the Apple podcast, Auburn Observer, and scroll, with the little 5 star button, you know, tappy tap tap, I love this podcast because, and then uh, obviously mash the subscribe button, which you've probably already done, that part I'm sure you've already done, of course, so you know, this is very simple, it takes like 20 seconds, and we love you for it, folks, we love it.
0: We've got a few because we haven't done this in a minute. Let us read our, um, our new reviews, our new five star reviews. Uh, from Reese's Pieces 8 it says Blackerby sent me. Shout out to Zach. Uh, I showed up for the Inner Circle Thursday podcast and I look forward to reading the newsletters. The atmospheric views and observations made by Justin are complemented by the emotionally driven yet somehow not too unrealistic <laughs> fan led fantasies of Painter, which face it, is life as an Auburn fan. Keep it up, guys. You and Bruce Pearl get me through being in an office full of Tennessee bamboos.
1: You are in. What, well, what are the Tennessee people saying? <laughs> what are they doing? What's going on there? Uh, I don't feel like they talking can. About talk about baseball
0: right now? Is that, is yeah,
1: <laughs> okay. Because it's always like if it, someone comes at me real excited about baseball, it's like, whoa, easy guy. Like, I support my yeah. team as well, but I <laughs> let's be realistic about how much this moves the needle. Like, as. As an Auburn baseball fan, and there's probably some people listening to this that don't take kindly to those words because some of y'all are extremely loyal. But like in terms of the online discourse, I gotta say, pulling out the we're good at baseball and looking at you, Mississippi State and Arkansas, a lot of times (laughs) feels to me like the athletic directors who's floundering and looking for a foothold to keep his job is like, look at our grades. Uh
0: Jam five six two two says, "I listened to the instructions. Something nice about painter.
1: That's perfect. 100%. I, like if there were eighty of those, we'd be good."
0: This is from Nova Matt, and he says, "Do you like excellent podcasts? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste, but when the Auburn Observer came out in twenty twenty, I think they came into their own sound, commercial, commercially and artistically." <laughs> The whole podcast has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the episodes a big boost. Painter has be, been compared to Anthony Jeselnik, but I think he has a far more, much more bitter and cynical sense of humor. Their undisputed masterpiece is episode one forty six, "Coronation." Most people probably didn't listen to it more than once, but they should because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends. It's also a personal statement about Justin and Painter themselves. That was the podcast after Auburn won the SEC. Has been our. That was a fun one. I remember that. As I'm emotionally
1: moved by the amount of detail that went into that.
0: Yeah, yeah. a lot of good ones. Uh, so yeah, give us a, give us five stars. Say something nice to us uh, on, on Twitter or on Twitter on, on Apple Podcast Reviews you can do it on Twitter. Uh, too, uh, there is a I review. Love. There is a. I, I don't know if Painter has seen it, seen it yet. We did get it. We did get a review that wasn't five stars. That was kind of funny. When I it, sometimes it was it's no fair.
1: Funny. Like you know, you read stuff. and You go, oh yeah. well. The, criticism, what are you gonna the, do? the criticisms of <laughs> that one. The criticisms of that one are like, hey, Ooh, yep. what are you going to do?
0: It's like, it's like, yeah. Well, I can see why someone might not like that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you gotta, hey, I, I, hey, we, we do hey, appreciate. Hey, we appreciate it. We do, and yeah. that means you listened. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. as our guy, tried to listen James at one said, point. Oh well, you listen.
0: Also, uh, shout out to our friends at Homefield Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com, dot com, the place to get premium collegiate apparel. The best stuff. The best logos. The best designs. Big news Saturday's been killing it. They had Arizona State and Arizona recently. The Arizona stuff looks stellar. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably an Auburn fan, um, so you're going to want to suit up with your Auburn stuff. I'm telling you, this time of year, a home field t shirt's the best way to combat the heat. It's 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 uh, it's got good. It holds up well. You know, it's not it's not a it's not a cheap feeling T-shirt. You definitely feel the softness, but it's not going to choke you. You know, it's not going to keep your weight down in the heat. Um, so. There's a lot of good Auburn designs. There's really good Auburn baseball design. If you want to pick up on the on Butch Thompson and the gangs uh, uh, trend right now, uh, you can uh, you can buy the a very nice orange Auburn baseball script design. That's really really cool. A lot of cool Auburn basketball designs as well, including uh, the peacock shirts uh, inspired by our buddies over at College and Mag. If you want to get in early on sweatshirts and hoodies, you can do that as well. And uh, so, if there's a college team besides Auburn that you love, there's a good chance Homefield Apparel's got the very best uh, stuff that you're going to find uh, for that team on their website. So, if you want to check us out, 15% off uh, your first order. Use the promo code Observer when you check out. If it's your first order at HomefieldApparel.com, 15% off right off the bat. Just use the promo code Observer, and uh, yeah, tell them, tell them that uh, that Ferg and Painter. Sent you. All right. So the SEC uh, meeting, spring meetings, even though it's the dead of summer, it feels like now. SEC spring meetings were in Destin last week. Um, not a whole lot got accomplished, like, big picture-wise in terms of, like, decisions that were made. It seems like they were pushing it down. Okay, let me
1: stop you before uh-huh. you say anything else. How much gets accomplished at these? As somebody who pays more attention than most of us, do they actually normally do stuff, or is this result, like, pretty I, common? I think,
0: pe- I, think, I think people thought, or at least I did, and, and other people thought that they were going to have like some sort of scheduling news out by then, like have a decision, but it seems like that's been the holdup. There's also uh, talk of, uh, of this uh, deadline. Uh, they want to, um, they want to push up that uh, inter-conference inter- transfer. Like right now, you have to be in by February first to be an inter-conference transfer. Okay, so we all I want all to know talk about doing it. In who's May. holding this
1: up, for? Her. Because you wrote about it in the mailbag about some broke programs that are trying to hold us all back from the beautiful perfect pods. So the
0: scheduling, yeah. So, so the three six six model, as we've talked about with scheduling, is the ideal model. Um, and we've talked about it this a ton. We did a premium podcast not too long ago where we ran through some options here, but. Basically, the 366 is this. The SEC is about to have 16 teams in it, right? Go to a nine game conference schedule. You play three permanent teams every year. Uh, and then the remaining 12, you do six and six. Um, and you split them up that way. That way, you play everybody within two years and you play at everybody's stadium within four, at the very least. Um, that's the model everybody really likes, nine game schedule. The upper half of the SEC likes that idea because the upper half of the SEC has rivalries they want to protect. Now, the other model is the SEC stays at eight games with well, their eight games. Exactly. What they do is one permanent rival and then seven and seven, same kind of thought process in the rotation. You do play everybody every other year, but you have less uh, permanent rivals. You have less games. The bottom half of the SEC likes this proposal. And this is where the hangup has been, reportedly. Um, so here's the here's the bottom line. If the way this schedule is about to be, if you want to see Auburn play Alabama every year, and you want them to see play want to see them play Georgia every year, you you need for the three six six to land. This needs to be a nine game schedule. Otherwise, you're just going to get the Iron Bowl every year, and the Georgia game no longer becomes an annual game. Now. I know Auburn has not had the best of luck against Georgia recently, but that is a rivalry. It's the deep South oldest rivalry. It's one of the longest played football games in the country. I don't think you want to get rid it's of it. It's also that. going to get played, I, I, like,
1: regardless of what Auburn wants, because it probably makes a lot of money. And so yeah. I would imagine that even if Auburn fans didn't want to do it, and I think that they do, <laughs> you're going to get it. Yeah,
0: you, you would definitely want it. But it's only going to happen if they go to a nine-game schedule. If they stay at an eight-game schedule, you're probably just keeping the iron ball. This also affects a lot of other teams. We talked about the upper half of the SEC wanting this. Okay. Auburn and Georgia. Let's think about it from Georgia's perspective. Okay. Does Georgia want to play Auburn every year? They want to play Florida every year for sure. Can't keep both in an eight games format the way this, the way, the way this has been. And, 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 Alabama, th- you have... Alabama would love to play Tennessee every yeah. year. They would well, love to continue I'm to beat sure their I'm eyes sure out that they would.
1: And this is why I think and that we'll a, get, and that's a historic, I reward. think we'll get the pods because of what you just mentioned, or, well, actually I kind of mentioned it by forcing it in there. The money is, it's more interesting if these teams play each other and they keep those rivalries intact and it's good for advertising. If there are more good games, and, and, like that, and I'm basing this off of just nothing except money, but that's why I think that the better system may actually win out this time because it's, it's better yeah. for the people who are aligned and making money. The schools that are pushing back on it and
0: kind of holding this up seem to be the programs that are in the bottom half of the SEC, and here's why. They don't want to go to nine conference games because it's harder for them to make a bowl to win those six games if they have to play a ninth conference game. Instead of taking it easy and playing you know, four non-conference games that are automatic wins, or say probably three that are automatic wins, you take away one of them more than likely if you go to a nine-game schedule. That's been the hangout. Um, it would be really tough to see the conference go in that direction because, and I don't know if they're, these teams are for sure the ones doing it, but like for the Missouris and the Arkansals and the Mississippi States and the South Carolinas of the world hanging it up. Like, that would be really tough. Like, no more Auburn-Georgia every year. No more Alabama-Tennessee every year. You think about, you know, what rivalry... Like, think about it this way. Texas-Oklahoma, one of the things about Texas coming into the league is like... oh, You get that. Texas-Texas-A&M. Yeah, Texas-Texas-A&M, you get it every year. Because they'd be a permanent rivalry, one would think. Okay, well, you can't have Texas-Oklahoma and Texas-Texas-A&M if you go just to one I just can't... This rivalry. is
1: such a clearly inferior way of doing it on the behest of teams that don't make the money. That's why I have a hard time believing they'll ultimately win whatever is happening in these conversations behind closed doors.
0: Yeah. So that's on hold. Um, According to Greg Sankey, uh, the commissioner of the sec, uh, this was the, this, this will be late summer to mid fall. The scheduling model will be determined. So that's a pretty big window. What they did determine, though, is basketball schedule. Yes. Um, It is staying at 18 games. They are not expanding to 20. The 20 game schedule is conference schedule is what the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac 12 already do. They play 20 conference games a year. The SEC only has 18.
1: Do they think there's a competitive advantage for making the tournament? Getting more teams (sighs) in the tournament by giving teams. More leeway with its non conference games. schedule. What's the what's the deal here? Because with conventional wisdom would say match yourselves with the competitive balance of the other conferences.
0: Yeah, so this is from our buddy Brandon Marcello, who said the SEC the tweeted this a couple days ago. The SEC did discuss a twenty games conference schedule for basketball. Greg Sankey says, quote, eighteen allows pretty effective rotation, a lot of comfort with that. The SEC will also eliminate some of its requirements for non-conference scheduling. So I guess you're getting some more flexibility on that end, but also keeping it at 18. It does seem like with 20 in a 16 conference, like it seemed like it was a little bit less of, a, of an easy rotation to figure out. So the way the 18-game schedule works right now is you play three permanent rivals twice. So for Auburn, that's Alabama, Georgia, and Old Miss. They play them home and away every single year. And then you rotate two of those teams, two of the remaining teams, you just rotate, and you play those home and homes. You play two more home and homes. And then you play everybody else at least one game each, and that's how the rotation works. The way the new one will work out is you will have two permanent rivals you play twice. I would think Auburn and Georgia will continue to be games that Auburn plays every year, although they didn't always play Auburn and Georgia or Alabama and Georgia every year in basketball. Um, I would think Ole Miss is probably the one that drops off there. Then you would pick up one that's rotating team that you play <laughs> that you play twice. Yeah, yeah. Don't play Ole Miss every 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 uh, twice a year every year. That'd be good. Then you'd have one rotating team, and then you play all the other twelve teams once each. So that's how they're going to stay. It. It's an easy way to stick to eighteen. They are going to stick to eighteen. I personally would have liked to have seen a twenty game schedule because I like it in the ACC. I like it in the Big Ten. Just more interesting games. Um, you know, makes the. It's it nice when the, the
1: conferences are doing something similar because there's already so much weirdness happening in between each conference. I don't know if you care about that, but I don't know. Some, some form of symmetry is nice.
0: I, 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 I tend to agree. The one thing they did keep, though, is now you have a 16-game schedule, or sorry, a 16-team conference, so the tournament has to be 16 teams. Everybody's getting in the double buy will continue to exist. What that means now is the bottom eight teams of the league will play on Wednesday. And then the next four will come in to play the winners on, on Thursday. And then if you get the double buy, if you're a top four team, you play on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if you, if you get get that far. So it's the same format. It's just, if you're in the bottom half of the sec, you're going to play on Wednesday, Like that's, that's the new exchange. And if you're five through eight, you'll play on Thursday. You still get that. You still get the big one on. Um, so the double buy still exists. I think that's such a great reward. It's really hard to win a conference title, as Auburn can tell you, as other teams can tell you. Getting that double by even though it didn't help Auburn out this year, uh, this past season, because Texas a was on fire and they had a not not a great game. Annoying
1: team to lose to. Annoying team to right. lose to.
0: You will still have that reward. So that is they have determined that in uh, in basketball. So I think that's a good. That's a good format, and that is, of course, when Texas and Oklahoma join the league here, um, presumably two years from now. Uh, finally, before we go, um, some basketball news. We talked about this on the premium pod that we thought this was going to happen, um, and that's where all the winds was, were blowing towards. But Alan Flanagan uh, pulling out of the NBA draft, coming back
1: for another year. It should be noted that as, he had enough of expected. a performance, and I feel like people were kind of like, wait a minute. You know, like it's not impossible he could stay. I, like you said,
0: the, there were fans. There were fans that were I wouldn't say worried, but they were like they were like, man, he might he might. Yeah, do this. right. Like, he I might. think
1: like you said, most people who were plugged in seemed to think he was coming back. But good for yeah. him yeah. for yeah. having a nice little camp there.
0: He, it sounded like he. It sounded like he got as much like he took full advantage of this process. Went through the camp, didn't get invited to the big combine, but got through all the team, you know, all the team interviews and stuff like that. And credit goes to Auburn here. Like, I think Bruce Pearl and and the staff kind of knew that he was probably going to end up coming back. But when you when he talked on the record, it was like, well, if we get Al back, or you know, like like they, you know, they're you gassing wanna, him you, you up. You want to, and you want to give it some legitimacy because right. you don't want it to be like, oh, well, they're just going. yeah. We know like, he's coming again, back. He's already no, told his dad. Like, like no disre like like no disrespect. Like zero disrespect to to this guy because I know he's very popular. But like Dylan Carwell did the same thing. And went through – he didn't go quite as deep into the process as – or he didn't go as long. I think he announced maybe a couple of days earlier. that It was all like – Bruce was saying, like, yeah, he's coming back. Like, he was going through that process where it's like, yeah, you have that opportunity. You can do that without You penalty. should do it. You
1: do it. Twice. You should do it. It's Just be realistic. <laughs> if you want to play in the NBA. Yeah. If you want to play in the NBA,
0: this is the best way to get feedback. Hey, you need to work on this and this about your game if you want to play here. I'm like, all right. You get that. We saw Jared Harper and Bryce Brown and these other guys take advantage of it. Kiki, before deciding to come back. We've seen guys do that over and over. Allen, being the age that he is and being the kind of physical player he is, I think it's just kind of pushed to to a little bit. But it's huge for Auburn, obviously, because you didn't get, uh, you know, you, you didn't get that big, you know, wing in the portal. You didn't get, you know, the 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 additional five star that you could have gotten. He ends up going to Tennessee. Uh so when you miss out on Julian Phillips, you you lose um Devin Cambridge, who is gonna go get more playing time at Arizona State. Your wing is huge at this point. You have Chance Westry coming in, but you don't wanna have to rely on Chance Westry alone. You don't want to rely on Chris Moore alone. Like you, you you would love to bring back another guy. Now I think if he would have left, Auburn would have probably, you know, kind of moved things around in the uh and, and tried to, you know, push in the portal. But it didn't seem like Auburn was going to be in a situation where they could say, Hey, we're going to offer you this many minutes a game or so. It's going to be hard because they have so much depth. So it looks like they're rolling with the guys that they've got. And Allen's such a big piece of that. And and, and painter, we've talked about it before. You're a big Allen Allen Flanagan guy um, and a believer in him. And it's just like, yeah, he did not come back from injury um, super well on the offensive side. Now, defensively, I thought he still held his own on defense. Team wise, if you look at some of the advanced numbers, Auburn was a better, re- a much better rebounding team when he was on the floor. I think he brings some of that, his ability to rebound down, was pretty, pretty impressive. And of course, that was something that Devin did a good job with uh, last year. I think in the case of, of Allen, it's just with the amount of talent they have in the front court, the new guys they got in the front court, and the depth there, the experience they have in the back court coming back. I don't think you need Allen playing to average 20, 20 a night for him to be worth it right i think he just needs to be a really good consistent starter and tap into what made him such a good player his sophomore year and one that where people looked at him heading into his junior year it was like that guy is an all sec player he's got if he can just be that again if he can be sophomore Allen Flanagan again less turnovers probably because he's not going to have the ball in his hands quite as often because they have actual point guards on the roster now that's all you got to do and and do that rebound play great defense and go to the league or you know get a shot to play professional ball like that's that's exactly what you'd want from Allen
1: you read through some of the things that he does well and I could only muster up in response well those are all the most unsexy things you could possibly be good at so yeah like
0: last year he did not shoot well his offensive game was rough it it was bad his defense game was
1: not i didn't expect him to come back from the injury and be exactly the same but i felt like at times on offense he felt unsure of himself that may be unfair to say i don't know because i'm not in allen's head but I will say, like, there's no doubt, based on the numbers you were able to read, like, defensively, the rebounding, it was still there. Offensively, I think, be encouraged by what it was and he did at this combine and how much time he spent, or not at the combine, but I believe you follow what I'm saying here. Uh, these workouts were good for him. And uh, the positive spin is he makes your team objectively better and perhaps is a difference maker in an, a single elimination tournament uh if you want to go with the floor instead of the ceiling then like you have a four year player on your team that is going to be one of the probably top 20 players in the league almost no matter what mm-hmm. is that fair or is that over aggressive yeah. given what we saw last season like, i
0: i think if he, i think if he's fully healthy and comes back to like he was, what he was i think he'd be a top 20 player in this league absolutely i think his brand of like i mean you think about his some of his sophomore year and I mean, he had some good games. He had a couple of good games this past year, like that A and M game. I thought he he really did. Came he hit on. free throws uh, in the
1: Kentucky game or the Alabama game.
0: Alabama, which w- sealed it against Alabama. Yeah, I, I go back to his sophomore year and how like, um, or is it was it his sophomore? Or his freshman year, um. Like he he has single handedly won some games. Well, maybe not single handed. It's, it's sure, always sure. tough to say in basketball. But like his play, Tennessee did game so his much.
1: sophomore year is the one I think of. Allen. It's like, oh yes, my that's, god, that, if this is what yeah, we're going to get out of him I'm... regularly. Sign me up.
0: Yeah, the home game against uh, Kentucky, his his uh, his sophomore year, he scores twenty one that game and goes a perfect eight of eight from the line. They couldn't stay in front of him. Auburn wins at home over over Kentucky. There's some games like that where you're just like, all right, like he's, he's got it, man. Like he, he can do it. And it's just tapping back into that. And he's so self-motivated. I mean, this guy's going to have such a chip on his shoulder. He sees the criticism online. And I think you said it best when we were talking before you started recording painter, it's a vocal minority. It's a minority. It's a vocal minority uh, of people that are like, Oh, Alan, you know, we're better off with <laughs> like that. It's a very, very
1: funny take to have. <laughs> yeah, and like he was, was like, like
0: <laughs> and I think Alan tweeted recently like, yeah, get, keep that same energy. Like, all right, you know, if you if you think I'm a bust and
1: like, you know. If you were coming at it at a different tone and were like, "Well, he underachieved last season," or I had high expect—I had high expectations for him personally. He didn't meet my own personal expectations. That is not what these people are saying. These people are attributing like, bad basketball he, to him. He shouldn't be out and, there. He's right. only out there
0: because of his dad. And okay, like, well, very, very no. good,
1: sir. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, good for Al for him going through that process. And uh, I think you're going to see a really highly motivated Al. You know, the funny thing I'm looking at, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now. Um, his sophomore year, Alan Flanagan's sophomore season, the comparisons, stat comparisons uh, that they have on Ken Palm, player comparisons, uh, of the 10 on here, nine of them were NBA draft draft picks. Uh, and then you've got dudes like Spencer Dinwiddie, Sandarius Thornwell, DeAndre Benbury, uh, Malachi Richardson, Alonzo Trier. Like, you know, guys, uh, Marcus georges is not, like guys who aren't necessarily household names, but like, getting into the league from where you were as a, let as me a, make as, as much money
1: as Spencer did. Let me make that. Let yeah. me make that kind of money. Probably don't put it all. Probably don't put it all in. uh
0: you know, probably don't put it all in. A, a well, hindsight's in
1: 2020 it. who could have seen that coming.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, Alan Flanagan coming back, uh, we'll probably have some more on it here in the near future. It's just, I, there's a lot to like about, the potential of a senior season Alan Flanagan. And I think him and Jalen Williams, um, I think you're going to see a lot of the value of having veteran leadership at some keeps and guys that have been been through the grind and have worked their way to the spots that they are now.
1: I'm I'm hanging also, off the cliff of, or dying on the hill, whatever the, <laughs> I just made up for phrase. Yeah, sure. Hanging off the, whatever uh, that Auburn will not be as good of a team as next year, but if healthy is a better tournament team next year, like it's, I could see. You them. know, I think that's the argument. Is yeah, you I, lo- they're you lo- more
0: versatile. Yeah, they're more versatile and they're deeper. And that experience they might a not guard, be as talented.
1: Man, it just, you know, I like. I wanted to pull my hair out at times with those guards, but they also want us a lot of games. <laughs> so yep, like a double-edged yep. sword, of course.
0: Also, before we go, if any of you are looking for some early Christmas presents, Auburn playing at USC in Los Angeles. December 18th one week before Christmas I believe that is a Sunday um, are you going and they're going to play they're going to play UW they're going to play Washington on that same trip
1: so for after we'll, we'll see uh, probably before but I like, um, to, I like the, to imagine you going to all the away games this year just bawling out
0: go ahead go uh, s- folks folks subscribe to the Observer um, tell your friends skip as we get enough donations I'll try to go to you the US just
1: like yep yeah, getting these capital I try, one I points, about baby. Going,
0: those of you who listened last year, those of you who listened to the podcast last year, remember me talking, remembers me talking about going to the Bahamas. And look, I was in deep in the playing stages for it. And then, um, the man got in the way Thanksgiving. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, I have a, I have a sibling of mine who lives very far away and only comes around, um, you know, uh, in very rare uh, times just because of where they live. And uh, so when they were coming in for, for Thanksgiving, I was like, well, I need to, I need to stay here for Thanksgiving. Um, So this, this just says how
1: much I love you. I could have been, (laughs) I could have been (laughs) not here in case you were wondering.
0: But if, yeah, if, 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 if you guys continue to tell your friends and, and let's drive up these subscriptions, who knows? I might make a little West coast swing next year. I'd love to. I would love to have that opportunity. The sun has been great in Parts
1: Unknown, folks. We absolutely love it, by the way. I've been at the pool. It's warm, not hot. You know what I'm saying? Big distinction. It's hot. Yeah, it's time. You guys are going to be hot hot. until the end of October. Tough scenes. Tough scenes. Yep.
0: All right, that's going to do it for this podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Premium podcast later in the week. Uh, on Thursday, more than likely. We'll see if we'll have a guest on. We're, 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 trying to, we're trying to schedule several guests here in the future, and we'll just see how all that kind of works out. But uh, newsletters throughout the week, mailbag, always send in your questions. Uh, you can send them in to me on Twitter or in my email. Uh, and uh, yeah, we will be back uh, for the rest of you next week. Painter, final thoughts.
1: Which team opened the 1980s by winning four consecutive Stanley Cup titles? A, the Edmonton Oilers, B, the Montreal Canadiens, C, the New York Islanders, or D, Boston Bruins.
0: Okay, so... i it thinking like when Gretzky was playing... At that point in time, Gretzky hadn't played for the Kings yet, I don't think. So I'm going to say the Islanders?
1: <laughs> My right. man. Al Arbor's New York Islanders. While the Edmonton Oilers won four cups in a five-year stretch of the 1980s, and five over seven years, it was New York who strung together four straight. So... Gretzky didn't play for the Islanders,
0: play for the oiler Oilers, and he got traded. So who was on those Islanders teams? I'm gonna look this up because I like incorrectly got it off the wrong thing because my I thought orange and blue and I was like oh yeah when Gretzky played for the Islanders I was like no you moron he didn't play for them he played for the Oilers he played for the other orange and blue team.
1: Uh, this is what i was referencing recently someone asked me an interesting story about you and i don't know if i could really produce an interesting story is uh in this situation so much as like trying to get one over you is a big thing for me trying to find a fact or a pop culture reference that you are like i don't know yeah that was just a lucky guess mike bossy shout out to mike bossy driving through west virginia And I've seldom been thinner With that chip on my shoulder And this past year I got so much older Looking back over my life Spent the most of it tongue-tied I wish I'd had more time Listening to you speak your mind Now I'm thinking about it Every day on my mind A typical way Are you